Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We've been going through this Sunday school series of The King is Coming, and we've been just taking piecemeal in timeline order to kind of give a quick overview as much as we can going through prophecy and all the things that are going on and trying to describe all the different events that are dealing with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We had expressed terms and defined what we meant by it. We also had also explained the rapture, (laughs) that the calling away, which is the first phase of the coming of Jesus Christ. We went through the tribulation and explained the antichrist, the events of the tribulation. We spoke about the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ comes back. We talked about the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this earth for a thousand years. And then we saw Satan as he was released and explained why he was released. And then he was put back in a prison. And after this, we come to the book of Revelation chapter number 12. 20. Revelation chapter number 20, and as we're finishing up this series, last week, uh, next week will be our last message in this series. We now come to towards one of the last events found in the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse number 11. Revelation 20 and verse number 11, the Bible says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them." And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the book of Revelation 20 and verse 11, the phrase, the great white throne. This here is going to be the very last judgment found inside of the Bible. We know that there are several judgments that are mentioned in the Bible. Two of specific note. The first one that is mentioned is dealt with the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment for all of those who have accepted Jesus as their personal savior. And at that judgment, we're not being judged for our sins. We're being judged for our works and of what sort they are for the purpose of rewards or loss of rewards. This judgment here, the last judgment, works completely different. This judgment is not to be judged for the works that we've done for the idea, did we serve God or not? 
This is a completely different judgment. May we perhaps say it like this? This is not as much of a judgment as it is the sentencing because people are condemned already. What do we mean by this as we describe it? Well, a lot of people want to think that there is a general judgment at the end of the world. A lot of times when I deal with people, the common phrase that they would like to say is that God will sort it at the end. That a lot of people have in mind that when they die, that they're going to stand before God. And as they stand before God, that God is going to look at their life and they're going to weigh it out. That if my good works somehow outweigh my bad, that I'll be able to slide right into heaven. But that's not how this judgment works at all. As I already said, there are two different judgments That the first one is for Christians, those who have accepted Christ as our Savior. What does that mean? That means that we will not be at that last judgment to be judged for our sins. We will not be there to be judged or sentenced. That means that everyone who is at this judgment has no get-out-of-jail-free card, no get-out-of-hell-free card. Everyone that's at this judgment is already condemned And they're going to be sentenced to an awful place. What does this mean practically? That means that we need to be able to get settled which judgment we're going to face before we die. This is something that has to be taken care of before we die. When I preach at um, jails and I preach um, to the prisoners, they seem to understand the principle you hire your lawyer before you go to court. You get things secure before you show up to court. You need to have Jesus as your personal savior before you face God. At this judgment here is not going to be a judgment where God is saying, all right, well, you're good and you're bad. It's not going to be a judgment where, all right, let me check you out. Okay, yes, you could come right in. Or no, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. You have to go down. No matter what TV show or what cartoon you have watched. This is not how this works at all. How does this work? What is this judgment include on? Well, notice if you don't mind, we see that it is the judgment of the lost dead. It is the judgment of the lost dead. Notice with me in verse 11. And I saw a, a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth And heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Verse number 11 is often one where we kind of speed past, sometimes because we don't take the time to understand exactly what's going on in verse 11. Verse number 11, it says that I saw the great white throne. Remember, the emphasis here is not the great white throne, but rather the one that sits on the throne. Who sits on the throne and him that sat on the throne whose face the earth and heaven fled away. So this person being judged, I'll give you the hint, it's God. That God is so holy and so mighty that the rest of the world can't stand before him whose face they fled away from. This is a poetical picture that says that God is holy, God is righteous. And because of that, the people can't stand before him with the idea that they can't stand defiantly. They can't stand on their own accord. They have to fall to their feet and be humbled and understand they're standing before God. Notice who is standing there. Verse number 12, and I saw the dead. Now this word dead is going to be very important. We know the idea of death 
carries the idea of separation. When someone is physically dead, their body is one place, but what makes them them is separated out. Spiritual death is what is required of all of man. Because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from a holy God. When it says the dead here, this is speaking about all those people who have sinned. But may I also give you a question here? Is being a sinner what is required to be here? May I say the answer is no. What do you say that for? Because we're all sinners. But I don't have to go to this judgment. Why not? Because I have accepted Jesus as my Savior. Whenever you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you'll never have to go to this judgment. You'll never stand before the white throne judgment for the idea of judgment of sins, to be judged for what we have done wrong. That the requirement for to be here is not only that you're a sinner, which is what you're going to be judged for, it's that you've never personally accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never accepted the free gift that God has offered you. And that's what makes it tragic. No one has to die and go to hell. God has made it so anyone and everyone can go to heaven. Someone is not sent to hell because they didn't do enough good things. Someone is not sent to hell because they didn't go to church enough. Someone is not sent to hell because they didn't pay enough money to the church. The only reason why a man goes to hell is because they've never accepted the free gift that God offered everyone freely. Everyone has been offered that gift. Everyone has maybe not heard the idea of Jesus, but everyone has recognized that there is a God because of creation and conscience, Romans chapter 1, and they had to do something with that light. They either accepted that light or they rejected that light. Light obeyed produces more light. If somebody said, I want to know more about God, there's got to be something more out here, God would send someone by to tell them about Jesus. They would give them a Bible. They would do something. God has done that throughout the centuries to prove that that is true. However, these people here have never accepted Christ's gift. And now they're standing before God. Where have they been, by the way? Notice in verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great. Now here's a great uh, definition here. When it's talking about small and great, it's talking about reputation and status. That who stands before this white throne judgment? It's not just Hitler. It's just not Mussolini. It's just not Stalin. It's not just Pol Pot. It's the grandma up the street who was sweet and gave cookies and candy to all the neighborhood kids. Why is she here? She never accepted Christ as her personal savior. That's the heartbreaking thing about this place is who is standing here at this judgment? And who goes to that awful place called hell? You don't have to be a great sinner. You could be a small sinner and still stand before here if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Verse number 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Here's something else that we see here is that we are judged, or they're going to be judged by books. The book was open books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in those books according to their works. Notice books plural. There are three different books that the Bible makes mention of that is going to be opened here at this judgment. 
The first one is what we commonly call the book of works. The book of works. What is this? This is a book that has listed everything that we've ever done wrong in our life. So you ever steal a cookie from your cookie jar? Well, it's in there. You ever steal from your boss? Well, it's in there. You ever cheat on your wife? Well, it's in there. Anything and everything that we've done. Remember, for the wages of sin is death. Because of this one little sin, whether it's a small sin or a great sin, we all deserve to be separated from God. And it doesn't matter how many sins they have, One sin is enough to condemn them to this place if they've never accepted Christ as their Savior. And so during this time, the books are going to be open and everything they've ever done wrong against God and His standards is going to be listed. And they're going to realize what a great sinner they are. You know, sometimes people have a hard time understanding that we're sinners and that all of us have come short of the glory of God. Let's just imagine, if you don't mind, me that all I did in one day was three sins. That every day I lived a great life, not just a good life, but a great life. And I only sin three times a day. What do I mean by that? Let's just say that I told a little white lie, not a big lie, just a little white lie. I broke the speed limit and I got aggravated with my wife. Now, if that's all I did in one day, that's living a great life. I'm a pastor of a church and I don't think I live up to that. You could smile, it's all right, because we're in the same boat, right? All of us have come short of the glory of God. But let's just say, for example's sake, I only sin three times a day, living a great life. Do you know at the end of one year, I would have racked up 1,000 sins? At age 20, just sinning three times a day, that would be 20,000 sins. At age 50, just sinning three times a day, that would be 50,000 sins. If I stood before God and had 50,000 sins on my account, I wouldn't look that good anymore. May I remind us we do more than three sins a day. When those books are open, what it's doing is showing them that they are truly guilty. That you can't fight against this. You can't say I'm a good person when you're looking at a list of 100,000 sins. 200,000 sins. That's a lot. I can't defend myself and say how good and righteous I am at that time. Without a doubt, everyone will realize that they are guilty. There's another book that is open and the Bible makes mention here. It is called the book of life. The book of life, everyone who has ever been born or conceived is written in the book of life. Everyone conceived is written in the book of life. And if you die as a sinner, meaning you know that you're of sin, you know that that there's consequences for your sin, and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, the Bible says your name gets blotted out of that. It gets erased. And so they take this book and they look and say, you know what? Your name's not on here. You're not on this list. This is the list you have to be on here. You have all these sins that you've done and they've never been paid for and you're not on the book of life. The Bible makes mention that there's a third book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is different than the 
than the book of life. The book of life, as soon as you are conceived, your name's written down on there and your name could be blotted off if you've never accepted Christ as your savior while you were on this earth. The Lamb's book of life is the book of life is like Jesus's personal journal. Everyone who's ever trusted Jesus as their personal savior is written down on that book. And the Bible says that your name can never be blotted out of that book. And so when someone is standing at the white throne judgment, we're in Revelation chapter 20. They're going to be there because they're sinners who have never accepted Christ as their savior. To show that they are not a good person, all of their sins are now recorded down. And they're going to realize that standing before a holy God, that they are not matched up to God's standards for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there's going to be other books, the book of life. And if their name's not written in the book of life, you can't come in. And the Lamb's book of life, which is mentioned a little bit later, is like Jesus' personal journal. You're not in this one either. You can't come in. So what happens to these? They're going to be judged out of the books. Notice, if you don't mind, as it continues, verse number 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Notice it said that the sea gave up the dead which were in them. Now, this may not be as big of a deal for us now, but remember that the sea was a very big, mysterious place. And there was an idea that if someone was lost at sea, that person was lost forever. You can never find them again. Well, God never lost them. And even if they died at sea, if we could do something, if we traveled out to outer space and someone died in outer space, they're not so far that they cannot be retrieved and stand before God. This is a big thing that there's no one that can get away. There are people that think they could run and hide from God. Doesn't matter. God has never lost track of you. And they're going to stand before God. Those who have died beforehand, they're going to be brought up to stand before God. And they were judged every man according to their works. Meaning that they're going to be sentenced because of their sins that they've committed against God for the wages of sin is death. The Bible then reiterates this in verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So all of those who were in the holding chamber of hell are going to be cast into the eternal abode of the lake of fire. And they're never going to be released and they're going to be there forever and ever. The Bible calls this the second death. Now, why is this important? Verse number 15. And whosoever was not written into the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That second death is very significant. Jesus talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 13. When he talked to Nicodemus, he said, verily, verily, you must be born again. Nicodemus scratched his old silver head and said, I don't get it. It's not like I crawl back into mom. How does this work? And Jesus said, we have to have two births. And just as real as our physical birth was, our spiritual birth is just as real of an event. That we have to have two births, two events. The first, a physical event. The second, a spiritual event. There should be a time and a place, an event of when you've accepted Christ as your Savior. That's when you were born again. The moment that you will receive Christ as your Savior. 
the principle and the analogy is, is that if you have only one birth, you have two deaths. You will die physically and then you will be sentenced and separated from God eternally. But if you have two births, you only have one death. One time of separation where you physically die, but after that you will be present with God forever and ever and never be separated from him again. Remember that word death carries the idea of separation. Two births, one separation. One birth, two separations. This is a significant idea. So the idea that why is God putting us here? Is this God trying to show how mean and bad he is? Is he an evil God? Is he just trying to make us sad? No, he is warning us with the truth. Trying to say we need to make sure every one of us have two births. There was a time where I was born physically and then just as real as my first birth was, I should have an event where I personally accepted Christ as my savior, where I came to the place where I realized the truth and I received him for myself. The Bible is trying to give us a kindness and trying to warn us and trying to realize that real people are going to this awful place called hell. May I also give you another factor of this? In the, this chapter here, in the previous verse where we were reading at, what happens is that we're witnessing as Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Immediately after this is the white throne judgment. It is my personal belief that all of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior will be present there for the white throne judgment. We're not there to be sentenced, but we're there as witnesses of the people who are going to be sentenced. Now, how is this going to be carried out? Well, for the billions and billions of people that will be there, a lot of them will be just faces in a crowd. But every once in a while, we'll see someone who's being brought to the white throne and we'll recognize them. I grew up with them. They were my friend. They were the one when I was in high school, I said, we'd be friends forever. And then we kind of split up for a while. And as they come walking by, using my divine imagination, and I will admit that this is my speculation imagination. I could imagine locking eyes on them. They realize that they can't get out of it. They know they're going to be sentenced. But it's almost like they lock eyes and they almost mouth the words, why didn't you tell me? You're over there and I'm over here. Why didn't you tell me? Maybe there's a family member that comes in they knew that we went to church, but we never went and had the decency to tell them about. We, oh, we don't want to offend them. It's their own thing. It's too personal. And they lock eyes with us and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I didn't have to be here. Why didn't you tell me? That neighbor that we've lived with for years and years and years that we say hi to, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? In the book of Ezekiel chapter number 3 and the book of Ezekiel chapter 33, God gives the prophet Ezekiel a charge. And he tells Ezekiel two different times that you're a watchman. Now the idea of a watchman, in fact, let's just turn there. Ezekiel 33.
God gave this thing to Ezekiel, this charge, this command twice. First at the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, when Ezekiel had just been captured by the Babylonians and brought over with the rest of the Hebrew people. God says, your job is to pastor these people and here is what I'm giving you to do. And he gave him the task of a watchman. Later on, when Jerusalem fell in 586 BC, God pulled Ezekiel aside again and said, listen, I still have the same charge and repeated the same command and said, even though Jerusalem fell, you still have the same responsibility. You're a watchman. What does this mean that he's a watchman and how does it tie in to the lake of fire, to the white throne judgment? Turn with me to Ezekiel 33 and notice with me starting at verse one, Ezekiel 33 and verse one. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak unto the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for a watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own hand. If he shall sound the trumpet and took not the warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh the warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, then the people shall be warned. If the sword shall come and a person shall take from among them, he is taken away from his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. We'll pause there. What it's doing is it's starting off with a historical uh, idea that in the ancient world, cities were walled. And the reason they were walled was to protect them. That with the cities being walled, they had different dangers. For example, animals. Even today, going to certain places in the Middle East, lions are still killers. And if you have an encampment out there, the lions can go into the encampment and they're still killers. And so the walled cities or any kind of city, they would have a watchman who was to be in a tower, which we would call a watchtower, and their job is to watch out. So if a lion, pack of lions, uh, different animals that would be a danger, the watchman was to see them take his trumpet and blow, give an alarm to warn them. And the people were to respond to the alarm. If they said, ah, it's just a fake thing and ignore it, well, then that's their own fault. But the watchman did his job. If uh, a second thing would be bandits. Bandits would love to go try to find a city that would be vulnerable, a town that would be vulnerable, an encampment that would be invulnerable. And so as he's taking his watch, if he sees something, bandits coming, he was to take his trumpet and he was to blow and let them know that there's a danger and the people would respond to it. If they ignored the response and they died, well, that's their own fault. But if they heard it, they could have a chance to defend themselves and live. But the watchman had to watch. But if the watchman chose not to blow his trumpet and say, ah, have at it, then the watchman was responsible. The third thing was an enemy, an enemy army that would come and surround the city, take the encampment. He once again was to blow the trumpet and let him know the enemy's here. That was the whole job of a watchman. And so God is using this historical thing. All right, you know the job of a watchman, but just in case you need a reminder, Ezekiel, let me explain what a watchman's supposed to do. But then he turns it to a spiritual watchman, verse 7. 
So thou, O son of man, verse 7, Ezekiel 33, 7, so thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. God says, you're a watchman. Your job is to warn the people around them. That is your job to warn them that there's a danger to come. What is the danger? The awful place called hell. That is your job to warn them. Verse 8, and when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Is hell a reality? Yes. Is real people going there? Yes. We have a responsibility to warn them that this is a real place and real people go there. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked man from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. Meaning that if we fail to warn them and that man dies, it's not, (laughs) the man's still going to go to hell because of his own works. However, but his blood will I require at thine hands. Nevertheless, if I warn the wicked of his way, then he will not turn from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. The Bible gives a principle here called bloody hands. Bloody hands. That if we know that hell's a real place and real people are going there and we fail to warn them, they die, they're going to go sentence because of their own actions. But the Bible says, their blood will I require at thy hands. Again, I'm giving my personal opinion. It is my personal opinion that we'll realize this principle of bloody hands at the white throne judgment when we see those people that we knew. And we know that we didn't warn them. We could have. I personally believe that we'll remember every opportunity we had to tell them. And we refuse to. And we're going to realize how much blood is on our hands because we failed to warn them. Interesting enough, the apostle Paul uses the same analogy when he's preaching at the church of Corinth. When he says, I am free from your blood. Why? Because I failed not to give all of you the gospel. He says, I told every single one of you, I'm free from the blood. I don't have bloody hands because I did everything to warn. What you did with the information, that's your own responsibility. But I did my job as a watchman to warn you. We have this principle here of the watchman in bloody hands. And at this white throne judgment, it's going to be a horrible time, of course, for all of those who are going to be sentenced to that awful place called hell. But I also believe that it's not going to be a fun time for us either that we're going to realize how guilty we were when we failed to warn them. Remember, nobody has to die and go to hell. It is a free gift. Let me give a different analogy. If I was to come up with a pill that could cure all cancers and that I could develop it for just a few cents and that with this pill, Everyone never had to go through cancer again with a low, low price. And I refused to make it available. Would I be guilty if people died of cancer and I had the opportunity to forgive? Absolutely. Everyone who suffered from cancer and didn't have to, I would have a responsibility in that. 
what about having someone who is on death row and they come time where it's time to execute the prisoner and he's clearly guilty. And as we're watching the clock getting ready for midnight, the phone rings and I know it's the governor and I know that the governor is going to give a pardon to this prisoner, but I ignore to answer the phone or I answer the phone, but I fail to deliver the message that this man is supposed to be freed. Even though that man is guilty, would I be guilty as well? Because he didn't have to die. He may have been deserving to die, but he didn't have to die. And I had the message to free him. And I failed to deliver that message. I would be guilty. Bloody hands. You understand the idea of the white throne judgment affects more than just the lost. In the next chapter, it begins to talk about eternity, future. And one of the very first things that he says he does is he wipes the tears from our eyes. Why? Because there's lots of tears in our eyes because of this white throne judgment. We'll realize that we'll have bloody hands. We go out of the white throne judgment into eternity, future. And God has to comfort us because we realize our guilt. This is a heavy principle. What do we do with this? We have the responsibility of warning everyone that we have around us. People that we work with, people that we live with, our friends, our family, our neighbors. None of them have to die and go to that awful place called hell. Every one of us have a responsibility of trying to warn those who are around us. And if we don't, we have the Bible principle of bloody hands. And again, it is my personal opinion that we'll realize this effect here at the White Throne Judgment. What an awful time this is. This White Throne Judgment where real people, people that we know are going to be sent to this awful place of the lake of fire forever and ever. And they don't have to. The question is, is do you believe it's true? And if you do, What are we doing to warn those around us? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.